The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ezra chapter 5. If you're joining us either outside or online, we welcome you. Uh, we are in the middle of a, a series called Ruined to Restoration through the book of Ezra, and it's been absolutely incredible. You know, Daniel and I, when we first uh, prayed and thought, Ezra, restoration, yeah, we got really excited, and then we read it, and we're like, oh, this is going to be tougher than we thought, and then it's been so much better than I ever imagined. God has been speaking so much, and I know he's going to do that tonight, but Ezra chapter 5, and, and just before we do, I just want to I just want to set an expectation, maybe for some of you tonight. I, I, I read this last week, and I got to share with a, a group at my house last Thursday night, but there was a thought, you know, I was reading through the Bible last week, and a, and a phrase that I had never really seen before just jumped out at me. How many know you can read the Bible through so many times, and then all of a sudden a verse comes out, and you're like, I did not know that was there, and I said this last week, but Moses is blessing the tribes. He's just about ready to die, and he blesses the tribe of, of uh, Joshua, excuse me, Joseph, and he says this, he says, may the favor of the God of the burning bush be upon you. And man, that just spoke like a megaphone. You ever have those scriptures that just like, it's like God shouting at you in the best possible way. The favor of the God of the burning bush. The God of the burning bush is the God who shows up when you least expect it. For Moses, it was just an ordinary day. Maybe for some of you, it's just a Wednesday. It's just, I I guess I should go to church. Listen, you just never know when God will just absolutely change everything in just a moment. In just a moment, God comes to you. Maybe you've been praying for breakthrough. Maybe tonight, this moment is the night of breakthrough. Tonight is the night where I'm sure many of you are saying, yes, I need to meet God. I need to have a burning bush experience. I just want to say tonight, you never know what God might do before the end of this message, before the end of the service. That tonight, for you, might be an encounter. Listen, I know personally, you can go, you can start a day one way, and somewhere in the middle of your day, your entire life gets turned upside down, and maybe that is going to be true for you tonight. I just say, have your expectation a little higher. God is here, and he wants to speak. He wants to minister. He wants to heal broken hearts. He wants to call people. He wants to send people. Ezra chapter 5, pick up with me in verse 1. Let's read. It says, now the prophet's Haggai and Zechariah, the sons of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose, and they began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And at the same time, Tatsani, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? And they also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? Verse 5, But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius and that an answer be returned by letter concerning it. They did not stop. They kept building. They kept going. Father, we just pray, Holy Spirit, we want to settle our minds and hearts in this moment. I don't know what's going on in everyone's world and life, but right now, Lord, you have our attention. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. We need ears to hear what you are saying to us tonight. And I pray tonight for many, God, would be a night of change and transformation. Every time we encounter your word There is the possibility for radical change, transformation, for hope to fill our lives. 
And so, Holy Spirit, have your way like you've never had it before. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that, that reveal to us the heart of the Father, that reveal to us his nature and what he desires for the kid, what he, his kids, what he desires for you. And one of those things that we come across in Scripture is that God desires that you would prosper. And some of you have red flags. Oh, this isn't that prosperity gospel. No, no, they get it all. They get half the truth right, and they miss out on some of it. The, the heart of it is that God desperately desires that each and every one of you would prosper in all ways. In fact, John writes it in one of his letters in 3 John verse 2. He says, I pray that you prosper in all ways, but listen, even or especially as your soul prospers. See, if your soul's not prospering, nothing else really matters. God desires to bring prosperity in all ways to your life. You name it, relationally, financially, health. Yeah, fill in the blank because John says, I pray you prosper in all ways, but even as, especially as, or in line with the fact that your soul, your inner man is prospering. That's what God desires for you. And for some of you, you're like, yes, I believe that. I know that I'm experiencing that. For some of you here tonight, you're like, I don't think I really believe that. If you're really honest, at one point, you may have believed that. At one point, you would have said it was true. But because of the season that you're passing through right now, you wonder, God, are you there? God, do you care? I feel stuck. I feel like it says in Deuteronomy, the heavens are brass. It's like, I, are you listening? Are you hearing? I thought things were moving. I thought I heard your voice. I thought I was walking down the right path. But somewhere along the way, opposition kicked up, conflict has hit, and I don't know if I trust you anymore. I don't know if you are, in fact, as good as I thought you were. Some of you have believed the, enemy, the, the enemy's lies, and you're having a tough time embracing this because God does seem silent. God does seem cruel. He does seem distracted, that he's blessing everybody else but you. And you have a real tough time believing that. Listen, the exiles that we read about in Ezra, oh, they had the same thing. We saw in the first few chapters, they were really riding a wave, you could say, of prosperity. God had stirred their hearts. They had said, yes, there were things that were happening. Things were moving. I mean, there were shouts of praise. The, the foundation of the temple was laid. It was like, wow. I mean, so much was happening. So many good things. God was moving. And then this conflict hits. And it seems the opposite of prosperity happens. Failure, negativity, lack. Everything that is the opposite of prosperity hits their life. Hope fades, frustrations mount, and the enemy just seems to be winning. And a season of winter hits, and nothing seems to be happening. In fact, we saw this last week. We'll see it tonight. 16 years, the work on, on the temple ceases. For 16 years, it seems like the enemy has won, that God somehow went radio silent, that God quit showing up. And we'll see tonight, no, God does, in fact, move. Why but God? We talked about this last week, and I showed you the picture, and we read from Isaiah 61 what God is doing in all of our lives. He starts with an acorn, and that acorn eventually becomes an oak of righteousness. And oftentimes, we never see and never appreciate all that took place in between to take that acorn and actually create a majestic and beautiful and powerful and life-giving and sustaining oak tree. But that's exactly what God is doing. That's exactly what God is doing. But God, 
And tonight we come to chapters five and six, and we're going to kind of hopefully make our way rather quickly. And tonight the title of the message is The Reversal. The first week, Daniel taught on the return. I taught on chapter two, the remnant. Then it was the restoration. Last week was the resistance. So I thought I'd be really creative, the reversal. So just to kind of help you out. And tonight, there is a dramatic reversal. Because God shows up and then God shows off. Because God defeats the enemy in the most remarkable way. And listen, he not only defeats the enemy, I'm just going to kind of sneak peek it out. He utterly humiliates the enemy. When God shows up, he doesn't just defeat, he utterly humiliates. And you can look at story after story. Ultimately, that's what the cross is all about. God absolutely humiliating the enemy. And God does that tonight to the enemies of Israel. And I believe God wants to do that tonight to the enemy of your soul. Now, I will say this as we get to this promise of prosperity. It's a conditional promise. There are things that we have to partner with. There's an if attached And in fact, Daniel and I, the next series that we're doing after the book of Ezra is simply going to be titled, If. If my people who are called by name will humble themselves. There's a promise of God working, but there's an if on our part. If you will not forgive, I will not forgive. There's a a few ifs in the Bible where God says, I'm going to show up. I want to show off, but I also need something from you. And so we're going to talk about that. We see that tonight. So simply the message is the power of the word. Uh, the conditional power of the word, and then finally how God keeps his word, what God does. And we'll kind of just celebrate the goodness of God in this chapter and hopefully let it build faith in our lives. Again, quick reminder, the end of chapter three, I love it. It says, there was shouts of joy. And a few weeks back, we shouted at the end of the service. There was a shout of joy at all that God had done. Well, that shout of joy, you recall last week in the beginning of chapter four, it says the enemies heard. They shouted and the enemies heard. When you shout, listen, the enemy will hear and the enemy will, he'll always fight back, but it's always worth it. That doesn't mean we don't shout. That means we shout louder and we keep going. So they shouted, the enemy heard, the enemy fought back. He's been relentless in his his attacks. He discredits, he lies, he intimidates, he brings fear. He tried compromise, he tried to disqualify everything he could to get the people of God from stopping the work. And like I said, for 16 years, the enemy seems to have succeeded. And now in chapter 5, at the beginning, for 16 years, the people are stuck. And things need to move forward. How does God move his people forward? How does God move this project forward? The beginning here of chapter 5, it says God sends two people, Haggai and Zechariah. God sends his prophets to speak his word. When things are stuck, when things seem dead, when when God wants to move, how does he do that? How does he get to us? He speaks his word to us. His word is power. His word is central to the work that he is doing in this world. His word by the spirit of God wants to come into your life and it is the power. Not just that it has power, it brings power. It is power. When God speaks, things happen. And so God needs to get his people awake. He needs to shake them from their lethargy, from their unbelief. And so what does he do? He sends two guys, two very different guys, by the way. Haggai and Zechariah, and you can read their stories later at the back end of the Old Testament. Haggai is very short, three chapters. And Zechariah, I want to say, is like 12 or 13 chapters. Zechariah is much more mystical, where Haggai is just blunt. Haggai is just one of those guys, he comes in like a hammer and is like, listen, you're not building the house of God while you're building your own house. You're putting in your granite tops and your white picket fence. You've got your dish, you know, on the outside of your house. You've got your YouTube TV and you've got your cable channels. You've got everything else, but you neglect the house of God. Essentially, that's the message you read in Haggai. And he says over and over, consider your ways. And man, the people were convicted. 
It says then they had a mind to work and they got back to the, to the job at hand. They got back to believing God and his word. When I say to you tonight, as God's word comes, the prophetic word will be spoken. He speaks it through preachers and personalities, through prophets, through, through the actual word of God as you get into it. And the spirit of God makes it come alive. God's word is central. It motivates us. It redirects us. It allows us to overcome all the fear and discouragement. And tonight, listen tonight to some of you. Hear my voice. Some of you are in a place of fear and discouragement. Some of you are stuck. You're stuck in your job. You're stuck in your relationship. You're stuck even in your relationship with God. You're like, where do I go? What do I need to do? Listen, God is going to give you his word if you have ears to hear, if you're willing to embrace it. Maybe tonight, maybe even this moment, maybe right now, God is sending his word into your heart. And that's what we have when the spirit of God takes the word of God. It can get past their ears and can just go, man, right down into the deepest parts. And it's like, you know that you know that you know that's God. It's God's voice that, that arouses, that awakens, that motivates, that builds faith, that encourages, that, that sends us off. It was the voice of the Lord that said, light be, and light was. Plants and stars and animals, and finally Adam and Eve, when God breathed life into Adam and then created Eve. God's word has power. It creates. When Jesus walked the earth and he says to his disciples, follow me, and something in their hearts just said, they dropped whatever they were doing and they followed him. When Jesus looked at a person who was bound by demons, he said, be loosed. And they were set free. His word that was spoken released things. It releases people. It sets the captives free. His word has power. Take up your mat and walk, Jesus says. And a guy for 38, 39 years by the pools of Bethesda is able to. Now he had to say, do you want this? Yes. But the word of Jesus allowed those legs to be strengthened. He said, Eyes receive sight and they could see and ears hear and over and over. Be free. Go and sin no more. All of those things were words that empowered, that released people, that set people free. The word is like seed, it has power, but listen, we have to respond. Into the fear and discouragement of your life, God is speaking. He will be speaking. Listen and look. Pastor Daniel gave an incredible message on Sunday about hearing the voice of God. And again, I will just hit the drumbeat. God is constantly speaking. And for some of you who have believed a lie, uh, he speaks, but not to me. I, I can't hear. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God speaks, and he has a, a myriad of ways of speaking. And he'll speak his word, and he'll give you guidance. He'll give you direction. He'll let you know that he is there with you, and he's got a purpose and a plan. We need to hear. But the condition is this, is that we have to hear, and we have to respond. The people couldn't just simply hear. They actually had to hear it, and they had to do something about it. And that is always the case with God's word. Because if we're simply hearers only, guess what James says? You deceive yourself. And I would say the church at large is full of people who sadly have deceived themselves. There's a lot of people who do not realize that they have deceived themselves because they come in and they hear the word of God, they highlight the word of God. They might even memorize the word of God. They might even be able to give you the Greek meaning and the Hebrew meaning of the word of God, but they've never actually done the word of God. A few verses in your notes there. We, we see this. God says this over and over in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. God makes a promise, an incredible promise to Joshua. He says, the book of the law, the word of God, must not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do, maybe underline that, to do everything written in it. What's the promise? There's a condition. If you do it, 
what's the condition? What's the promise? For then you will prosper. Everyone say, prosper. Prosper and succeed in all you do. Again, that's what God's heart is. That's the Father. You think, that sounds prosperity. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. Yes, God wants you to prosper. The next verse is this. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. And God says, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep, again, that word keep means to do, to keep, to hold on to his statutes, commandments, ordinances, and decrees as it is written in the law of Moses so that you may, again, what's that word? Prosper in all you do and wherever you turn. One more verse just to really drill it down. Second Chronicles 31, 21. We read this. It should be in your notes. Second Chronicles. There we go. He was diligent in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and the commandments in order to seek his God. And so he prospered. Listen, do you see the connection between keeping the word of God and prosperity and prospering? What I want to say to you tonight is God desires that you would prosper relationally, emotionally, physically. He's given us his word. And it can't just be that we've got our Bibles and we've got our names engraved on the front or we've got all the Bible apps. That's amazing. And, and, and we want to read it, but we want to live it and we want to do it. Listen, Jesus says this. If you abide in me and I in you, if, you're, if my words abide in you, ask anything in my name and it shall be granted. The condition is that it's like, wow, I can ask anything and I get it. Yeah, he says, but my word has to be abiding in you. Is the word of Jesus, are his words really abiding and living in you? Because if they are, there's an amazing promise. I don't know about you, but ask anything in my name, it'll be given. That sounds like prosperity to me. How about to you? <laughs> Listen, there's power in the word of God, power to bring dead things back to life, to accomplish the moving of mountains, to bring prosperity to every area. But the word cannot simply be a static thing in the letters on a page. They have to be written in our hearts, abiding in our hearts. The Spirit of God has to make it come alive. And when it does, oh, it makes things happen. There's power there. Because His promise is true. His character is true. There's a part that we have to play. That's the if. We have to respond. Two times in this chapter, we read in verse 8 of chapter 5 and verse 14 of chapter 6, because they do, we read that they prospered. Verse 8, we read this. Be it known to the king that we went into the province of Judah to the house of the great God. It is being built. And it goes on this. It goes, this work goes on diligently. And listen, it prospers in their hands. Why? Because they were doing what God said. Because Haggai and Zechariah said, get back to work. And they're doing it. And the enemies, the enemies know. Look at, even the enemies know they're prospering. They're prospering. They're succeeding. The building's going up. There's something happening here. Verse 14 of chapter 6, it says, and the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. Look at They prospered through the prophesying. Do you understand? When the word of God went out of the mouth of Zechariah and Haggai and they believed it and it landed and they acted on it, there was prosperity, there was release, there was change. There was something that shifted. Where for 16 years, nothing had happened. Suddenly, because they act on the word of God, and tonight, suddenly, if you act on the word of God that he speaks to you, man, you can begin to prosper. That's what happens in their life. In the middle of conflict. Does the conflict stop? No. Does the opposition cease? No. They double down and they actually get more aggressive. But in the middle of conflict, they prosper. In the middle of conflict, God is showing off and showing up. Look at me in verse, uh, verse 5 of, of, of uh, chapter 5. It says this, because they go on to build, but the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop. 
Tonight I would say this to some of you, to all of us, oh, the eye of God wants to be upon you. The eye of God upon you, is, it speaks of prosperity. Psalm 32, 8, I can't, it is in your notes. Psalm 32, 8 says this, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Listen, tonight, the Holy Spirit wants to counsel you. Every day of your life, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, and he wants to counsel you. He wants to speak to you. His eye is ever upon you. The Bible says, you're, like Israel, is the, Israel's the apple of his eye. You're the apple of his eye. You're the object of his affection. He wants to lead, speak, guide you, direct you. Oh, but would you listen? The enemy isn't quitting, but that's okay. You keep saying yes, and things will happen. Things will shift. Well, I'm going to summarize some of the shift that takes place. Beginning in verse 6, we talked about this last week. There was a, a letter-writing campaign that goes back and forth between the kings. And this letter now is written to Darius the king in verse 7. And I'm not going to read you all the flattery, but I want to pick up on a couple of things, and you can go back and read all the details if you'd like. But it says this, they sent him a report who Darius, in which it is written, to Darius the king, all peace, you know, this flattery. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah and to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? And we also asked them their names for their information that we might write down the names of their leaders. The implication being, hey, they're not just building a temple. Oh, they're building a temple to a great God. They're using huge stones. I think this is more than just simply a place where they can go pray and offer sacrifice. I think this is a fortress. Why do they need these big stones? And again, they're using these innuendos and lies to kind of put fear in the heart of the king to try to stop the work. But more than that, notice what they do. They, 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 they're taking down names. So put yourself in their shoes. You're listening to God. You're obeying God. But then all of a sudden, the enemy comes. Hey, what's your name? Why are you asking me my name? They're, they're writing down your name because you're faithfully obeying God. And that may happen at your job and in your life. I shared a story last week of my friend at Qualcomm and how he got brought in because he was honoring God. But they took names down. Those names brought before a king very easily could be construed as treason. Treason means... And yet they continued on. Give us your names, king. They're, they're not building just a temple. There's huge stones. There's a lot going on here. I don't think you should allow this thing to happen. There's timber, all these implications. And yet they continue moving forward. I, I just want to ask you, do you think they were afraid? You don't have to raise your hand or not. I think so. I think there was certainly fear when somebody's asking your name. Again, the work had stopped for 16 years. They needed some thundering prophets to come, and they're moving. Again, maybe not everybody was, but I'm certain there was a certain level of fear, and yet they did it anyway. I was listening to a really cool new song, and it, I sent it to my mom, and it's called Talking to Jesus. I don't know if any of you have heard it yet. I love it. It's just a kind of a kind of this cool story, but the opening line reminded me of my grandma. It says, Grandma used to pray out loud by her bed every night said this, to me, it sounded like mumbling, like she was out of her mind. If you knew my grandma, that would be true. She said, boy, this kind of praying is what saved my life. You ought to try it sometime. And now I know she was right. He goes on to say, talking to Jesus and learning to pray. But 
I said that to my mom, like, oh, mom, you got to listen to this song. We got to talk, and she was down this weekend for my son's 20th birthday, and, and she said something I'd forgotten. We were talking about my grandma, what an amazing lady and prayer warrior, and, and she said something that just caught me. She talked about fear. She said, the one thing grandma always taught us is you never give in to fear. You never give in to fear, because the devil, man, as soon as you give in to fear, he's won. And it doesn't mean you're not afraid. And I would say to some of you tonight, you're at a crossroads, you're at a place, and you feel fear. Listen, I, don't, don't feel guilty because you feel the fear. Feel guilty if you let the fear overtake you. That's, that's where it becomes sin. But in spite of the fear, you move forward. She was a woman of great faith. She was, man, she was four foot 11. We called it four by four. She was about four foot. She cooked bacon, grease, and everything. She was amazing, you know. That was grandma. But man, if you need something prayed, you called grandma, and man, you knew, whoo, it was going to get done. And my mom told this story, and I had forgotten about it. You see, my, my grandfather, actually both my grandfathers were horrible alcoholics, beat both grandmas, just, just horrible, drunk themselves in early graves, died before I really even got a chance to know any of them. But my grandma not only got saved, but then she got baptized in the Holy Spirit at 33 years of age. And after the Spirit of God came upon her, my grandfather never laid a finger on her again. Never laid a finger on her again. She knew and understood the God that we serve, that there's power, that he's faithful. And I just felt to share that story with you because I needed to hear that. Maybe some of you need to hear that tonight. Some of you are in a place where you feel surrounded. You feel, oh, man, but man, when you have the Lord, whew. And eventually, praise God, they both got saved, or at least my mom's dad came to know the Lord after a kind of a, it was a rough way to go, but God was gracious, but man, he... He never laid a finger on her, and she never backed down because she knew. In fact, she would go on to pray a lot of times, and she'd crack me up. I remember at the end, she, she died at like 94, and she would talk. I'd, go, I'd visit her a few times, and she'd be like, Shawnee? That's what she called me, Shawnee? You know. She's like, I fought off the death angel. And most people would say that. I'd go, oh, that's cute. You know? And with her, I knew it was true, like legitimately. Like, she just knew like, it wasn't her time, and she was going to pray, and she was going to fight that death angel off. And I knew, like, nope, she did. I know it until... She knew it was time, and she's like, I don't need to fight anymore, and she knew it was time to go. She said, and she would say, and she was funny, she was ornery. That's what she would say to us when we were kids, you're could be so ornery. So I was laughing, and she was, she was a bit ornery herself, you know. But she would say things, man, the devil's going to regret picking this fight. The devil's going to regret picking this fight. And for some of you tonight, the devil's been messing with you. Listen, you get a hold of, of the Lord, you run to the Lord, and the devil's going to regret picking a fight with you. Because he's going to wake something up if you run to the Lord. And that's what happens. We're going to see here in just a moment. The, the, the enemy is going to utterly regret picking this fight. Let's make him pay. Amen to that. <laughs> Let's make him pay. So we'll move on because there's a lot to cover. And I just kind of want to summarize this. Essentially, they're making all these accusations. The people of God know. Look, at, they say in verse 11, we're servants of the God of heaven. They know, hey, we're rebuilding this. That was built many years ago by a great king of Israel. They know, they acknowledge Solomon built this. And they also acknowledge the reason that it was destroyed is because of their fathers and it angered the God of heaven. So the letter goes on and finishes out. Chapter 6, we read the, the response from King Darius. It says, and Darius the king made a decree. Oh, the kings, they love to make decrees. Their word was law. A search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives. They looked through all the scrolls where the documents were stored. 
They finally found this scroll. The scroll was found on which it was written, a record. Verse 3, in the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered. And it goes on to describe how big. It says 60 cubits wide. But listen, they find the original document where Cyrus says, no, it's supposed to be built, and it's supposed to be really big, and it's supposed to be built with really big stones. But listen, listen here, verse 4. This is so hilarious. I mean, I, I was literally laughing reading this because their whole, their whole motivation, if you remember, to, to appeal to the king was, king, they're going to build this and you're not going to get tax money. The moment this happens, they're going to quit paying what they're supposed to pay. But then look at here, verse 4. It goes on to say, let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem, be brought back from Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. So they go back and they do a decree. They're trying to stop the work. And what happens? The king says, actually, we're going to pay for this thing. Actually, here, take the menorah back. Take the golden table of showbread that we stole. Take the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, it belongs back in the house of God. And not only are we going to give it back, we're going to pay for this thing to be built. I mean, that's insane, right? I mean, just think about what a great reversal that is. God loves to just absolutely turn things upside down. It's like Haman hanging on his own gallows. I mean, Haman is ready to kill the Jews. He built these gallows, and eventually has no idea he and his sons get hung on those exact same gallows. I mean, that's what God loves to do. Like I said, he not only defeats the enemy, he humiliates the enemy. That's what's happening here. He goes on to say, and you can keep reading with me, verse 5, and he says, oh, verse 6, now therefore, governor of the province, he says this, who are in the province beyond the river? Keep away. One of the versions says, leave them alone. Verse 7, let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, verse 8, I make a decree regarding, regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews. Not only that for the house, but for the elders who are building. Even the elders who were faithful. Listen, the elders who said yes. The elders who put their hand to the plow. The cost is to be paid to these men. They get paid. They get salaries. They had no idea. They, they're just like, we don't know how we're going to do this. We're going to do it. We're going to trust God. And now the enemy has to actually pay, not only for the construction, but pay for these men's salaries. Verse 9, and whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep, or burnt offerings. So they pay for the, the house of the, the, of the Lord to be built, and for the worship, and all the, the wheat, salt, wine, everything. I mean, you, couldn't, you can't make this up. You're like, are you serious? I mean, it was one way, and the letter shows up, and all of a sudden, everything is completely different. And I want to say to you, when God breaks through, that's exactly what happens. We serve the God of breakthrough. In 2 Samuel 5, verse 20, David has been fighting this band of Philistines, and he can't break through. He can't break through. And finally, David asks God, as he inquires of the Lord, God, should I go up? And God says, go up. And when he goes up, there's a breakthrough. And David renames that city, literally, God of the breakthrough. You serve the God of the breakthrough. And right now, I would say to some of you, hold on hope. That breakthrough is coming. I'm, I'm hearing the words of that song. I don't know. I, can't think. I know breakthrough is coming. Anyway, the breakthrough is coming. It's like a balloon that's... And it's getting bigger and bigger. And you're just like... And you can't see it. But eventually, it breaks through, right? And you have no idea in your life. It doesn't seem like God's doing anything, but... He's blowing. And he's working. I don't know how exactly it worked out, 
But I do know this, if you read the book of Daniel, he served under the, a king by the name of Darius. And so perhaps the timing of this lined up with Daniel's refusal to stop praying for three times. And you know the story. Because he refuses to cease prayers, he gets thrown in the lion's den. And the next morning, King Darius, it says in, in Daniel chapter 6, runs and he finds that he loves Daniel. And you know the story. Daniel is spared. And the heart of Darius is absolutely changed. We'll worship your God. I can't help but think the fact that Darius responds in the way that he does has to do with Daniel and the influence that he had. And look, at the people of God have no idea. Listen, they had no idea that God has a man in the court of the king. You have no idea the man or the woman that God has fighting for you in the, in the right, or wrong, you know, right place, wherever, at the right time. You just have no idea. You just trust God. God gives you his word and you obey. He speaks his word and you say, yes, God. Your servant listens. Your servant hears. I am ready to move and ready to act upon it. God keeps his word. God is faithful. God shows up. Not only that, not only they have to pay for it, it just gets even, even better. Verse 10, it says that they may offer pleasing sacrifice to God. Verse 11, also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, you try to, you try to put a little bit of white out and change any of it, <laughs> a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it. And on his house shall be made a dunghill. You try to stop the work of God, literally your, your whole life is going to be a pile of dung. <laughs> the PG version there. <laughs> Verse 12. May the God who caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who should put out a hand to alter this or destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Man, when God breaks through... God breaks through. When God shows up in your life, there's no mistaking that it's God. Some of you are in that place of praying. Keep praying. Somebody told me an, an acronym recently about prayer. You push. Anybody know what push means? Anyone? Anyone hear this? Pray until something happens. You keep praising. You keep praying until something happens. Keep obeying the word of God until something happens. And I guarantee you, something will happen. God always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. Breakthrough is coming. We don't always know how or when, but Romans 8.28 is always true. God works all things out for good to those who love him. It's been true. It is true. It will always be true. And God's power, listen, God's power is never our backup plan. His power is always the whole plan. It's just listening enough to tap into that plan through obedience. It's finding the word of God so we can find out his will, so we can obey that, that will release God's power and working in our life. So for some of you tonight, the, 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 the response is going to be, Lord, let me hear your voice. What's your word saying? And then Holy Spirit, give me the power to obey so that your work and your will can be accomplished. I say to us here, God's word for us is like it was in the time of Ezra. There's open hostility. Listen, we live in a time of absolute open hostility to Christ and his church. Hold fast to his word. Because all authority, listen, all authority, Jesus says, all authority has been given. He is with you. And the gates of hell have never prevailed and they will never prevail against his church. 
They will never prevail against a spirit-filled, blood-bought son or daughter of God who's saying yes to Jesus. Listen, God has given you his word. You act on it. We are to be those who are building the temple of the Lord, the church. God is adding to his church living stones. You and I are the temple of the Lord. That's the application. And it matters right now. We have the apostolic word. We have the prophetic word. We have the, the word of Jesus that said, go and make disciples. And lo, I am with you always. Listen, we have the promise that he will fight for us. His authority is with us. It has been delegated to us. Let me remind you of something. That promise is not given to your enemies. The world does not have the promise of God's authority, God's power, and God's resources. The person that is opposing you does not have that promise, but you do. You as the child of God, you have that promise. You have that word spoken by the king of kings. This king is issuing a decree. Let me tell you, the decree by the king of kings says, I am with you. The enemies don't stand a chance. Those who are opposing you and opposing the work of God do not stand a chance. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been building his church through opposition and struggle, and not once have, have the gates of the enemy ever been able to withstand the onslaught in the advance of the kingdom of God. Well, it ends, and I'm just going to summarize. We're going to move into a time of response and worship. They, they, they build it. God finishes the work, and then they celebrate the Passover. And I love this. They celebrate it. They celebrate with joy. Verse 22, chapter 6, and they kept the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with joy. Oh, joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. They celebrated because they had access to God. You see, for them, the temple was where the presence of God dwelt. Because the altar was rebuilt, they could deal with their sin and they had access to the presence of God. And it brought joy. You see, tonight, we don't have to go to a temple. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why? As great of, as a reversal as this was, or even Haman's gallows, the greatest reversal in all of eternity was the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, it says Jesus made what? It says he made a public spectacle of the enemy. He humiliated the enemy. The enemy thought he won. And not only was the enemy defeated, he was humiliated. Jesus made a public spectacle of him. What does that mean for you and me? It means we have access. It means we can come and enter into the presence of God at any time. It means that we can be those like them who had joy. Oh, but we have so much more reason to have joy. It says they had joy because he made them joyful. Oh, that God would make you make us joyful tonight. Father, we thank you so much that you are the God who who sends out his word. Holy Spirit, send out your word even now. And you're the God who performs his word. And may we be your people who hear and do and say yes to your word, God. God of breakthrough, breakthrough tonight. Breakthrough heaviness, breakthrough anxiety, breakthrough strongholds, breakthrough unbelief. Breakthrough where people are stuck, where they just can't get to you, Lord. Breakthrough tonight in a way that, oh, Jesus, breakthrough in a way that they will forever be changed. We didn't come to play church tonight, Lord. We came to be with you. We came to worship you. We came to encounter you. Lord, that's why you're here. You're the deliverer. 
You're the Savior. You're the Redeemer. You're the Restorer. Jesus, you're so much that and more. So Jesus, have your way tonight with your church. May our hearts and spirits just be dilated to yours, be open to you, to give you everything that you deserve, to give you everything that you deserve. Move now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.